I'm Abby. And I'm Allie. And it's About About Time time for for True Crime. Crime. Thank you guys for joining us. This is Allie speaking. Um, You just heard Abby's very interesting, historical, true crimey version of the Romanoff family and all that was involved with that. Um, So we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to go into a more true crimey-esque story. Um, I'm very excited to talk to you about this. This one wasn't necessarily the case that got me into true crime, right? Because it was probably one of the big ones like Ted Bundy or, you know, BTK or something like that. That was just one of the more well-known serial offending cases. So for this one, this is just sort of a one-off, but it it's fascinating to me and it's also my favorite kind of case which is it's the ones that really make you think because to me there's really no right truly right or truly wrong sort of take on it and we'll get into that don't worry but like with (laughs) like with a lot of these cases I gotta start with the trigger warning there's violence in here no shit you 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 clicked on it you knew it was coming y'all it's true crime um that's not all rainbows and butterflies um but there is mention of sexual assault child sexual assault so if you need to skip ahead or anything like that i'll try to give you a little bit of a heads up if you need to do that um and i'll certainly make sure that we've got resources at the end in case you know you or someone you know needs them but um and obviously murder but for some mm-hmm. reason that's sometimes easier to talk about i don't know I'm messed up. No, I think I think it's true. There's a bit of peace in knowing that the suffering ends and murder, unfortunately, is usually the end to that. I mean, yes. You know, after the hard, the hard part. But um, <laughs> I also want to just point out, you guys, if you ever need to skip an episode, that's OK. We will never be offended. Your yes. mental health and your well-being comes first. Absolutely. Do what you need to do to take care of yourself. It's a crazy world we live in and... You know, we we get a lot of joy because we're fucked up. We really like talking <laughs> about these things and talking about, again, like like we told you before, the way that people think, the way people behave, why they do that, um, the circumstances around that. We're just absolute huge nerds and we look this stuff up in our free time and we talk about it anyway. So again, we grabbed a mic. My you know? Google is definitely flagged by the FBI. Oh, my God. My FBI guy's like, what is wrong with you? He's got no idea. So Girl, call your therapist. Seriously. <laughs> um, yeah, he DM'd me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so for this, we're diving into the story of Jody Plochet. And again, you've had your trigger warning, but I'm going to kind of tell this story like a Tarantino film. We're going to kind of like jump ahead. Then we're going to jump back. We'll skip to the end. We'll play around. You mean Um, with the feet? Yes, all the feet. Well, we're diving in with both feet. Okay, so you hear that? Oh, Quentin, you might want (laughs) to, you know, tune in. (laughs) Quentin teen toes. (laughs) Quentin Tarantino toes. That is exactly it. So, um... I want to just sort of open with the middle here. It's March 16th. It's 1984. Gary Plochet, who is a family man, he's a father of four. He makes national headlines when he guns down 25-year-old karate instructor and close family friend Jeffrey Doucette in a Baton Rouge metropolitan airport on live TV. Might I just say, yikes. It's a big yikes. But why did this happen? Let's jump back. So 
I, we're going to go to 1982 and we're going to zoom out a little bit because I kind of want to give some context for like what's going on in the country at this time. Michael Jackson's thriller is on the radio. People are loving Sexy. it. Sexy. And people are doing that dance. You know how it is. I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Also super popular at this time. People are loving Princess Diana and her style and her grace. Poltergeist is like a hit movie right now. E.T. is a hit movie. Mm-hmm. Rocky 3. Like all these big box office hits. That's what's going on there. Um, I don't really care about sports, but maybe someone is. The 49ers won the Super Bowl that 49ers. year. But also... Richard Ramirez is sort of, this is a king, not really a king. Oh my gosh, you guys, but true crime legend. Yes. Richard Ramirez is active in this time and he is, you know, not that this case is about that, but this is the time period. So this is where we are. So we're going to zoom back in and we're going to talk about 1982 in Baton Rouge and we're going to talk about the Plush family. So... Gary's the dad, and um, he's married to June, the mother, and they've got four kids. So they've got Gary Jr., they've got Joseph, who is nicknamed Jody, and who's the the main sort of character in in our story here. Uh, Jeffrey, Michael, who, by all that I could tell, basically just goes by Mike or Michael, pretty much. And then they've got the youngest, her name is Jennifer. So Gary, the dad, was united states air force vet and he worked as a heavy equipment salesman and he made time to coach little league he was really like super involved in his family he i love that super invested you know in in their futures and everything i mean he worked full time and everything but he made sure that he was there and he was present and that's what stings about this one we'll get into it so his son jody became interested in sports and was trying to encourage Uh, his little brother Michael to be a little bit more outgoing he wasn't super into sports at the time so they were trying to get Michael like you know your brothers are really into it like what are you interested in we'll sign you up we'll do whatever and one day he came home from school and he brought home like this flyer for this mixed martial arts like karate and he was intrigued so the family was like all right you know you're interested we'll do it so they put all the boys in the karate and it was really All of them? They put all three of them. They all went to the same karate school with the same karate instructor, and the kids were loving it. That's so sweet. I don't think that my parents would ever put me and my brother in the same thing. I mean, it's just a really nice thing that they did. Yeah, and and from everything that I could tell, the siblings were all super close. They weren't really that far apart in age, too. I mean, the sister didn't go this route in it, but was you know went to all the games went to all the whatever like everything that they did sports wise and the classes were instructed by jeffrey Doucette, who you know is not alive anymore yes and he was like in his mid-20s at the time so jeff Doucette became really close with the family over time i mean he like was an instructor for all three of them he got to know the parents really well he was not really close with any family that he had because he didn't really live near any of them. Most of his family lived in Texas and he was in Louisiana. So he wasn't exactly like over for dinner, at you know, his mom's house much. But because of that, Gary kind of took him in and Gary, you know, said, you've got this great relationship with my boys. Like, you know, he was young. I mean, he kind of took him under his wing. Like he was over for family dinners. He was over for cookouts, barbecues, 
Well, and as someone who has like older cousins and my brother is older than I am, there's nothing cooler than when someone who is just enough older than you will come and hang out. So I know if it was my family, I would be like, hell yeah, we got the cool older guy over, like not in a weird way, but just like we're hanging out. We're having a good time. And I feel special and seen and cool. And that's exactly what it was. He was like a role model to them. They looked up to him and they he taught them cool things i mean they love doing karate it was you know cool they could have fun and kick a brick or something exactly (laughs) and and jeffrey was like really good at it i mean he was the instructor but he was also really good and he said that he saw a lot of promise in jody he thought that you know jody was could really go places with it he was passionate about it and over time he became like an older brother to them he sort of was a staple in their home he was like an extended member of the family And Jeff seemed really invested in them. And the boys looked up to him. They trusted him. And at this point, after they've sort of been in karate a little bit, Gary and June were going through a separation. So that had a really negative impact on the kids, obviously. And it was a tough time. And they had to adjust to this new sort of family dynamic. And Jeff saw an opportunity and jumped at it and knew that Jody especially was very vulnerable and he wasn't getting as much attention because his parents were going through it and didn't have any real family time so to speak mom and dad weren't together and he really enjoyed getting to spend time with Jeff because Jeff took him places Jeff would take him out to dinner Jeff would take him out after their martial arts i don't know get not (laughs) yes events whatever that was their fights and everything and he really enjoyed that extra attention that he got that he wasn't getting anymore he felt special and it had been a long time since he felt special and you know i'm not going to go into details of this but there's certainly out there that jeff began grooming Jody he began sexually assaulting him and it was a gradual escalation as those things typically are we know statistically typically starts out as something that can almost be argued as innocent and can yeah just escalate from there and this abuse continued over a year that's a long time it is and Jody was probably 10 at this time and his little brother was probably seven-ish, I believe. Um, and it was really Jody that Jeffrey really clung to. You know, right. it was sort of the two of them. Um, and Jody didn't tell his parents about what was going on. Right. And so many kids do this. And, you know unfortunately a lot of survivors of child abuse they've there's a lot of reasons why they don't tell people right there's they think it's normal they don't know any different if you're if this has been happening to you since you're like six years old and you you know you're 15 now let's just say you might only then start to be putting together the pieces that this isn't normal that it wasn't right you probably didn't like it but there's this emphasis on kids being silent Well, and as a kid, too, you think about being home, like there are things you don't like that you have to do all the time. You make your bed, you do your chores, you do the dishes, whatever, homework. And you're just like, okay, this is part of life. And when you bring it up, you're like, oh, I don't want to do it. But you do. And this probably feels the same, especially for any long term 
abuse, but also, especially in a grooming situation, it's so heinous to think that something that could make that child feel special and loved and seen is exactly what is used to hurt him later on. Absolutely, and the manipulation of it. And I just think, like, I get, like, what twists my stomach about it is, like, Jeffrey was the instructor for the karate class, the class that teaches you how to protect yourself. Oh, exactly. And like just the juxtaposition of that, the way that those two things, it's like, oh, you can protect yourself, but not from me. Right. And just that power dynamic and how uncomfortable that is. And that he was by definition stronger than him in all of these things. And a lot of kids don't come forward with what's going on. Again, they think it's normal. And sometimes they think they're deserving of it. They think they did something wrong. They provoked it. They, you know, deserve it. They're just waiting for it to end, but it's not that bad. Those kinds of things. And in Jody's case, he felt that it would upset his family. And he already felt like his family was upset enough. They were already going through a divorce. It was tough. His dad was drinking a lot more than he had in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely was struggling with alcohol at that time. He didn't want to add stress or frustration or anything to anybody. So he just dealt with it. And he still, by all accounts, enjoyed hanging out with Jeffrey otherwise. Right. He didn't enjoy the abuse, obviously, but he still got to go out to dinner, go to movies, go on these overnights and these travel events for karate, things that not every kid that his age or every kid in his class got to do. So he was still exposed to positive things. And... As the victim of this grooming and all of the time they've spent together, right? He feels like he's earning the respect of someone that he looks up to that he, you know, he can't get at home right now. Things are so busy, crazy, whatever they are. It's just, to me, it really hits when it's something that he's excited for and it's, the abuse is just something he has to get through. That is an awful payment for anything. Absolutely. And he's a child. He's like 10 or 11 years old at this time. And it's someone that his parents chose to invite into the home. That's elementary school. How in the hell do you go into someone's house and you look at their parents and you say, thanks for trusting your kid with me. You sit next to them at the dinner table. And then you take their kid and groom them and you destroy their innocence and kids aren't supposed to know the world can be that bad at that age that is hell no that is the beauty of being a child yes you have to listen to adults but if those adults are just good people things won't be that bad right and so that's sort of what was going on and this went on for months and again jody didn't say anything so things took an even darker turn A little bit later, so now we're fast-forwarding. We're on February 19th, 1984. Jeffrey shows up to the house, which, again, wasn't uncommon because he was, like, a staple there, and asked if he could borrow June's car, the the mom's car, to run an errand and asked if Jody could come with him for company. He said he'd be back in 15 minutes and, oh, you know, Jody wants to come along for the ride. And the mom thought it was a little weird, but she didn't necessarily, like red flags didn't jump out at her at this time and you know you probably guess where this was going right that that 15 minutes jody wasn't home 15 minutes after that jody wasn't home and even though june trusted jeff she was concerned because like where the fuck's her kid you know what i mean like and at this point she's not necessarily going crazy thinking that like oh jeff 
abducted Jody and he's wherever. He's thinking, did they get car accident? Was there a medical emergency? Like, what's going on? Is a Jeff car okay? accident? Did they go out to dinner and forget to tell me? Like, this is someone you care about. You're thinking your kid is fine, but maybe a situation is off. Exactly. And I know it's hard for our generation to believe, but there were no cell phones. You couldn't just text him or, you know, do whatever. There's no find my friends. There's no none of that. So she just had to wait. And she did. And when the night came and Jody wasn't home. She's going nuts. So she calls Jeffrey's mother Mm. and just hoping that maybe she's got some information. Right. And that just shows how close the family is. The fact that you have your karate instructor's mother's phone number. Like, you know that he was more than just that. Like he was a family member. They spent a lot of time together. And again, Jeffrey didn't really have that many family members in his life his mom he was close with her by all accounts but they didn't live near each other so it wasn't like he was seeing her all the time and again not like you could send a text so she calls her up and it turns out that the mother says oh yeah jeffrey and jody are here now this woman lives in texas yeah three hours away yeah so you know june is like what the f like what is going on here sorry if you guys just heard my cat um she's been telling stories over here too you'll probably hear that at some point but anyway um (laughs) you know she's asking to speak with jeffrey on the phone and you know the mom's like oh well you know what he says he says he's gonna have jody home in the morning they're just staying the night they're tired whatever and from what i can tell and it comes out later that his mom didn't know what was going on. Jeffrey's mom wasn't in on this by any means, but she believed her son and didn't think that her son was capable of what was going on. So Jeffrey tells his mother that he's on the run. He owes someone money and they're looking for it and he's going to get out of town. So the next morning he's like, I'm going to drop Jody off at home so that his parents aren't worrying, but I'm going to California. He's like, someone needs money from me. I don't have it. If you could spot me a few bucks to get me some bus ticket, like a bus ticket, that would be fantastic. But I, I got to get away for a little bit. And she just kind of took his word for it and said, all right, fine. You know, Jody will be home in the morning. Well, that didn't happen. The next morning, mm. he buys bus tickets for himself and Jody and they're off to California. And at this time, as they're like en route to California, Jody's mom, June, arrives in Port Arthur, Texas, where Jeffrey's mom lived. So like she just missed them. And because she's still like where like she has not spoken to her kid. She has no idea what's going on. She trusted Jeff, but now it's getting weird because where the fuck is he? And Jeff was one step ahead. He's already on his way. And at this time Jody was the closest that he'd ever been to like talking about what was going on. He had never spoken a word of the oh. abuse that he had gone through, but he didn't want to go to California. And it wasn't that he was necessarily afraid of Jeff or anything like that, but he wasn't exactly packed and ready to go for this impromptu trip. And it was weird. He, he hasn't talked to his parents. He's a kid. He wants to talk to his parents. When I was a kid, I used to call my parents and say good night, even at a sleepover like i did not go a day without talking to my parents 
Exactly. And they were a family oriented, you know, like they spent a lot of time together. This wasn't normal. And even though there were issues going on at home, it was even more of a reason that he just wanted to sort of be there and talk to them and communicate with them because it kind of felt like that was few and far between at this time. Well, yeah. So they're in California and Jody didn't tell anybody. He thought about it, but he didn't and got on the bus, you know, and they're there. So after one week, Jody was finally allowed to call home to talk to his mom and was told by Jeffrey he was strictly not allowed to talk about where he was, but he could tell her he was alive and well and that she shouldn't worry. How things change in one week from I'm your friend and mentor and karate teacher to you're only allowed to tell your mom that you're alive and safe. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm empowering you to be able to protect yourself to I'm stealing you away and you can't protect yourself from me. How gut-wrenching. And as a child, I can't even imagine what was running through his mind. So he calls, he speaks to his mom very briefly. And again, there's no caller ID. That's, you know, not how things worked, right? Again, no find my friends, no snap maps. We don't, you know, the luxuries we have. And that's all she had to go off of. Okay, she heard his voice, so she knows he's alive. She still, I mean, she thought her kid was kidnapped, but she's like, what is Jeff going through? Because he never would have done this. He was like a member of our family. So what the fuck, right? So a few more days go by and he's allowed to call again. But this time, June was prepared. She had called authorities. The police are paying attention now. She was able to say like, I have no idea where my kid is. I know that he's away, like, and I know he's with this guy. Yeah. So the police were prepared at this point, and they had tapped her phone, which, okay, like, good. for the time was, you know, pretty impressive. So when Jeff called next, Jeff said that you need to give me money and you need to meet me in New York or you're never going to see your son again. New York? New York. The other coast? Yep. To try to, they think now that he was trying to lead them in the wrong direction. You know, they're in California. He's like, if you're going to meet me in New York and uh. you're going to give me money. So luckily they were one step ahead. But the issue was, was the hotel that they were staying in. Jeffrey ran out of money. Like he didn't have much before. Well, not for all. nothing, but karate instructor if that was his only job i can't imagine pays glamorous money well and that's just it and that he was trying to bum money off his mom anyway and you know he's like in his again mid-20s and he's got this like 12 year old with him and they really weren't able to pay for the room that he was staying in like he was staying in this hotel and then after like they spoke about the money piece jeff let jody call home again Right. And they had it pinpointed now. Like they, they, again, they were prepared and they were able to determine that they were in a hotel that was up the road from Disneyland. Oh, God. Like, think of the horrific things that went on in that hotel room and then think of the amazing time that kids were having, like right up the road in Disneyland. And he took him to Disneyland. He took him. He was like, if anyone asks, you're my son tried to make like a semi-fun time but can you imagine when it was like okay park's closing time to go and it was like time to head back to the car like what he knew was waiting for him when he got back to the room like i can't even imagine it (sighs) so they determined the hotel room that the call came from and authorities flood it okay good thank god so obviously they separate them 
Jody's brought to the hospital because for the last 10 days, no one knows what's happened to him. They've just got no idea. And he's not talking. Well, why would you? He's stunned. He's shocked. And he doesn't know that his face is on like every news station. Well, and also, let's just remember here, he's in elementary school. He's a little baby. He probably believes in Santa. Well, and also... The only other person that he has trusted this much besides his parents has now just heinously twisted that trust into something so dramatically devastating. Why in the world would he ever share something with another stranger that's an adult? He, Especially he learned, something like that. And I'm sure in his mind, he learned what trusting an adult does. So now he won't. So he kept his mouth shut. Jeffrey is brought to, you know, the police department he or i i think the jail he's very you know in-depthly interviewed and interrogated because what the fuck you stole this kid from his front step and got him to california told his mom he was in new york wouldn't let him come home he couldn't do anything and so they do this big markup of tests and everything at the hospital on jody to try to figure out what the fuck was going on so they are getting jody on a plane to fly him home back to louisiana and jeffrey's still in california and jeffrey doesn't come home for a little bit later because he's being interrogated out there and a lot of the 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 sheriff's department sheriff barnett who was pretty much like running the case in louisiana flies out to california so he's already on it so in that time they're getting jody home and again, this is all over the news. It was a big story. And wait, just really quick. Remind me when this happened. This was in the 80s. Okay. So this is 19. We're in 1984 right now. But okay. this abuse started in 82. Oh, gosh. Yes. So he gets off the plane and it's just it's it can give you chills because you can see the video of <sighs> him being reunited with his family because, again, the news stations are there big case and they're trying to interview him and they're trying to talk to him and he's like you know how do you feel about being home and he just looks blankly at the camera he's like i don't know it's awful it's awful i think my heart just dropped to my butt that's awful i know you could just shit it out right now couldn't you yeah terrible (laughs) goodbye and it's only gonna get worse well and i was just gonna say too how absolutely devastating that has to be to watch on news but also for the time period i don't know to get someone flown out what a big case and for that little boy to have all of this attention that would be terrifying the last time he got attention it led to the worst trip of his life exactly and now there's not a single person who doesn't know his face exactly and he you could tell he was just in shock and you can see it and i encourage you to to look it up if if you're interested you can see like his family is like shaking they're so happy to have Mm -hmm. him home it's like they hold him and they don't want to let him go like they're afraid to let go of him because they don't know what will happen if they do they're just beside themselves happy and a few days later the results of all the testing that they did back in the hospital in california come in to louisiana Okay. And that's when they find out just how severely he was being abused. Oh. To not go into details, Jeffrey's DNA was found inside of Jody. 
And even when he got home and his parents were asking if he was okay, what happened, he didn't tell them. They found out because the hospital released the results of the tests and those tests showed what had happened to him. But he didn't put it into words. Well, how can you? Well, exactly. And so the sheriff who had flown out to California is like interrogating this guy, this fucking asshole. And he is singing like a canary about all of the other kids he abused too. Like he wasn't denying it. I mean, cause they, I mean, they had it in hard evidence. I mean, it's as hard of evidence that they could have in the eighties. Right. I mean, yeah. we know a lot of what happened with that, but there was no denying this and he really didn't try to. So, also, here's the other thing. I'm sorry. I'm pissed. Show some fucking shame. If you're going to literally destroy someone's entire childhood, have some fucking shame. Don't tell me about all the people you did it to. Well, and that's just it. And so after it was brought up to Jody, you know, oh my God, we just got these results. His family were like heartbroken. This man that they invited into their home. I mean, just the betrayal, the anger, the sadness, the guilt that they felt for allowing this man in their home. And they brought it up to Jody and they were just like, what? Like, what happened? Talk to us. And he finally felt comfortable to do so. And it came out that essentially, like most child groomers do, he began testing his boundaries, you know, in karate class. He would accidentally touch him. Oh, I'm sorry. Just to see how he would react, what would happen. And when he got no resistance because it was a little kid and this is an adult that he trusted... In a karate class. He pushed it further and further. And so it got to the point where he'd send the class out to go grab, you know, oh, go grab food or go grab whatever. But he'd keep Jody back. So other kids sort of started to pick up on the fact that for some reason Jody was special. But everyone just sort of thought that it was because, like, the family was really close and that he was just kind of like a big brother to him. Right. That's what I would assume. Red flags weren't exactly, like, blaring at this point. But you could see just how close they were. And that was, like, really unsettling. So he basically would assault him and then take him out on these really fun things to do and all these fun outings that he wanted to do to sort of reward him. And that kept him silent. And again, Jody didn't know he was a kid. He didn't fucking know. Well, and also... He's not a family member, and I hate to say it like that because I do truly believe in chosen family, but if it's not a family member, you don't know what their life is like behind their house's walls, and you think it's cool. You think this is like my big friend. This is somebody who's showing me how to be cool like them. And he was so afraid to lose that. He was special. He didn't want to do or say anything that would make it so that what he had to go sit at home or just be on, you know, his dad's drinking a lot. I mean, there was a lot of things. They were a close family, but they were a shattered family at this time. And it just really highlights the need to have the discussion that it's not stranger danger, right? In the media and socially, we think that someone who's going to hurt us is going to be this like cloaked person in an alleyway that's just going to jump out at you. More often than not, statistically, we know that you are so much more likely to be attacked by someone you know, someone close to you, than you are by a stranger. Well, and hear me out, right? My cousin 
recently said something to me. She has three kids. She said something not along the lines of stranger danger, but of sketchy adult danger. And one of my favorite things that she said that still sticks with me is adults don't need help from kids. I know this isn't one of those I lost my dog stories help, but if you're a child, adults don't need your help. Unless you're in a classroom and they're like, help me solve this problem. They don't need your help. They can handle themselves. Well, and that's just it. And that's the thing where it was just sort of like, it's not stranger danger. It's strange behavior danger. Yes. And telling kids that if someone acts differently when they're alone with you versus when your parents are around or they ask you to keep things secret from your parents, those are the red flags. And giving children the confidence to say that to trust their parents and you know bring that up and i don't even want to get into when it's actually the parents that are doing that to them because that's a whole other level of fucked up and horrific but having that discussion that more often than not it's not going to be that person that's like following you around in the mall though you should watch out for them i'm not saying go to lunch with them (laughs) but hey do you want to go to man ye express seriously and it's just you know what i mean so that was that was a huge takeaway and like talking to kids about that super important and well well we'll we'll jump back in because we'll talk about that a little bit later but gary and june have now just been told all of the horrors that their son has gone through in his own words and (sighs) they are shattered beside themselves june felt this immense guilt because she was all for all her kids joining karate because it the little one was interested in something and jody was outgoing he did all the sports and he was like screw it i'll do that too he's a little like he was just very active and ambitious and he just had a little a lot a lot of life and she sort of took like the brunt of the guilt feeling gary got angry the dad was furious and drinking a lot and going through it and they had to accept that this man that they had welcomed into their home as if he were family defiled that and had to try to come to terms with that and that's not an easy thing to do so sheriff barnett who was the sheriff that was working with june initially when he had gone missing and there was a lot sort of going on with that he is bringing jeffrey home and jeffrey is getting on this plane again he's still singing like a canary for all of the crimes that he's done he's just talking about it he admits that he's not just raping jody he's attacking a lot of kids under his care he's been doing that for a long time and isn't trying to hide it so as this is happening as the sheriff is boarding jeffrey onto the plane to go from california to louisiana it's still a huge case in louisiana obviously because now the media knows what jody had gone through the media knows that he was abused by his karate instructor and they're not being quiet about it so gary is sitting alone at lunch the dad and he he needed to get out of the house he needed to get away from it he was trying to wrap his head around it he needed some fresh air 
he runs into one of the staff members from the news station and that guy approaches gary like oh my god i can't believe what's going on because obviously the world knows at this point which is just awful to talk about a kid's abuse like that but anyway they have a conversation about what's going on now and the news guy is like so when does jeffrey come back and gary's like oh i think he's already back they won't tell me the police won't tell me where he is which also just what a need for a victim's witness advocate victims specifically child victims and also victims of sexual assault should absolutely have the right to know when their abuser is in the vicinity yes and like when they're not going to be detained anymore things like that and so but they didn't want gary to know they didn't want the dad to know because they were afraid of some kind of retaliation oh i get that and well we're gonna get there so that wasn't exactly a bad idea on their part to want to prevent that so the news station goes well i heard he's flying in today and gary's like i'm pretty sure he's already back the news guy's like hold my beer let me go find out (laughs) so he makes a call to his work and again because the press is on it they figure out that his flight is landing that afternoon he gets the flight number and the like the landing time his arrival time and tells gary uh no he's not already here he's going to be here they're going to be bringing him off that plane what an idiot no offense but what an idiot and probably i'm sure meant it with the best of intentions to try to give some sort of information offer something to this parent that is just going through a horrific time and i mean maybe didn't think much of it i don't want to speak for the guy i don't know that he said i don't know that he said much about it afterwards because i couldn't find it but he kind of set the dominoes falling on this one so gary has been drinking Mm -hmm. gary is pissed obviously and he wants to do something about it so and i know that we can't recall this this pre 9-11 airport situation but you used to be able to walk basically right up to the plane no security no whatever so the news was in there and they they obviously knew because this guy just told gary when he was landing when he was due back right so he's getting off the plane and the news station their cameras are set up they're ready to film him walking through the airport shackled you know about to be tried for his crimes against these kids and their cameras are all prepped chef uh chef oh my god (laughs) sheriff barnett is the one that is escorting him off the plane and the sheriff was close with the family at this point i wouldn't say like friendly but had been working on the case from when june noticed that jody wasn't back in 15 minutes right which was a little while ago now and you can watch the video and it's a little graphic but you can see in the camera that the sheriff is leading him down this hallway and there's this row of pay phones in the background which is just hard for us to believe but you can see this guy at the payphone. Yeah. he's in a bright ass white hat with sunglasses and you don't think much of it but as the sheriff brings jeffrey Doucette 
by that man turns around holds up a gun and fires one shot into the side of jeffrey Doucette's head and jeffrey drops can i just ask you said he has a military background of some kind navy background oh so he's a good shot so yikes he fires one shot into the side of his head and you guessed it it was gary plochet and he drops the gun and he just says i'm done like he wasn't going on a rampage he wasn't trying to hurt anybody else he put down the animal that had violated his child and then put his hands up and said do with me what you will on live television because again this is a big story it's him getting off the plane but no one was doing security or vetting the people that were around or whatever and i don't know that people were super concerned about jeffrey Doucette's safety in that they want him to be tried for his crimes but like if someone threw an elbow at him i don't think anyone would be like in trouble for that oh, but no, no yeah. one thought that someone was gonna <laughs> literally stand feet away from him hold a gun up and cap him yeah so jeffrey's down and gary plochet is in cuffs and you can hear Sheriff Barnett yell, why, why, Gary, why? Why did you do this? And Jeffrey didn't die that day, but he died the next morning from his injuries. One gunshot. And Gary was in his orange jail jumpsuit and before a judge. There was this outpouring of commentary from the public on all different sides. I can imagine. There were parents that wanted to donate to legal fees for Gary because oh. they said he would he did what any one of us would have done. You know, if I had the chance, if someone did that to my kid and I had the opportunity to do that, you bet your ass, and he'd be lucky that I only fired one shot because I would have made him suffer. Right. The other side of it, which was very interesting, was actually organizations of parents of abused kids or murdered kids saying that you don't fight violence with violence. Yeah. And we're in this spot because someone had disregarded the law and disregarded morals. And by doing what you did, you did that too. Right. This isn't some vigilante, you know justice thing that we've got going on this isn't acceptable now you've broken the law too if we're just gonna allow people to break laws then what the fuck's the point of laws exactly right so there was a lot of this kind of going back and forth and back and forth and the prosecutor on the case saying you know she wants him charged with second degree murder which was what was on the table she wanted him convicted right she just balls to the wall was like you know you killed like that's it you killed the dude on live tv yes yeah and felt like she wanted to make a point. Now, she said, I don't think a jury is going to convict him. I, I can't see, l- you know, 12, 12 local jurors condemning him for that. They would just as easily give him a hug and a high five yeah. more than they would do that. And she said that she had to consider what that would mean for Jody. What would seeing his father on trial for murder of his attacker do to him? And also, he would have to testify in that case of to all of the bad things that jeffrey did to him and with jeffrey being dead he no longer has to testify in jeffrey's trial so it saves him that trauma and that re-victimization to have to talk about that again and she was quoted as saying i looked at the child and i wondered how much this child had already been damaged by adults so she didn't push for second degree murder good the judge granted it 
Gary left that day having to only serve seven years of probation and 300 hours of community service. And he was a free man. Wow. And that is the piece of this that when I say I'm fascinated in the human experience and I'm fascinated in what we do and why we do it Mm -hmm. and the law and how it's written, you know, where that meets and crosses over with your morals and your ethics and things like that. Because in my opinion, I'm kind of on the side of the people that are feel like he's lucky they didn't do worse. If that were my child and someone defiled the most important thing in the world to me, Mm -hmm. I would want to go law abiding citizen on their ass. I would want to pull each fingernail individually off. I would want to like just the most gruesome, like you want to fucking play? Let's play. Yeah. That animosity and that maternal instinct and paternal instinct that exists in you. I don't know how you snuff that out. Well, and I typically in my life, I I always say I'm a pacifist because I don't, really believe in violence as the answer but i don't have kids and i could imagine doing something like that to someone who hurt just a sweet baby angel and i don't think that i necessarily agree with no time served but i understand it and i'm not going to claim to be mad about it i'd rather it go too far in his favor for protecting his child and his family then I would want them to give someone who's, as far as we know, in the last years of his life, an absolute fucking monster. Um, And I know, truly, nobody can be all bad. Nobody really has it in them to be all bad, or they would have nobody around them. He's pretty fucking close, though. Oh, (laughs) yes. But if he was all heinous, no one would be around for him to assault. So he either had a really good game face or there's some really intense complexity here. And the part of me that believes in pacifism and believes that violence isn't the answer and genuinely agrees with the the parenting groups that say, hey, what the fuck are laws for if we're not following them? Because laws are generally decided by society to be what we accept as okay and what isn't they're supposed to be representative of our morals and we hold ourselves to a high moral ground right that's the idea and i understand the victim sort of organizations that sort of step forward and we're like this is what we fucking petition against we don't want that you don't get to to be you know the judge and the executioner you don't get to determine on your own and the other piece of it is and jeffrey doucette's brother was actually interviewed crying because his brother was shot in the head but like honestly i I don't feel bad for you dude but sorry that's just my i feel bad for him not his brother but the fact that he (laughs) said you don't get to decide that he wasn't even found guilty and, you know, he's like, the brother I know would never have done that. He was this family man. He was so sweet. He was funny. He was passionate about his work. Blah, blah, blah. He's still a fucking asshole. But anyway, not the brother, but no, I know Jeffrey Doucette can literally rot in hell. If he were on fire and I had water, I would drink it. He's just an absolute piece of shit. But I'd anywho, pour it on the ground. <laughs> but anywho, he... That's rude. The You know, the brother was very upset and you know giving whatever kind of interview tour of just saying like you can't do that and then these other groups were also like you can't do that 
And the prosecutor was like, you can't do that. <laughs> but she knew that the heart of the people right. would say, you bet your ass you would. Yeah. Well, and truly, I think that is where prosecution and really a lot of jurisdiction rules come into play. Where is it a prosecutor who's looking to get reelected is an elected position is it somebody who has to fight tooth and nail to keep it and if that's the case what do you do do you go for a number and a win or do you go for the heartstrings and i think she made the right call because i respect her more than i would have if she said lock this guy away well and that's just it and she also had to consider okay how do i do the least harm because at this point the the crime occurred the situation happened right moving forward what is the law's responsibility what are what is the people's responsibility where do we go from here and she really had to weigh her options and just consider it's about jody and that's why i'm titling this not the death of jeffrey Doucette or gary killing jeffrey it's jody well and i believe too that The part of me that wants to say violence isn't the answer and the part of me that is an idealist and the part of me that wants to jump around in a field with unicorns and fucking, I don't know, flowers says that man could have changed. He could have gotten to prison. He could have spent his life in prison for the things he did to those kids. And maybe he could have made up for it. And then I think about lives and lives and lives of children And one sexual assault can wreck your life. It can wreck your confidence, your mental health, your physical health. It can, if you're a woman, potentially leave you, or if you own a uterus, can leave you potentially pregnant. If you, I I don't know, it can do so many things. And maybe he wouldn't have. Maybe he went to prison if he was still alive and sat there and rotted and did his time and got back out and found the next fucking kid he could. And in that sense, is there an obligation to stop that from happening? And I think the criminal justice system says yes, but do we say it with life in prison or do we do it with death? And my personal moral take on it is that, you know, if if I'm pissed, like fucking bullshit about what happened, I don't want to be that person for somebody else. I don't think I have it in me to say, okay, then I'm the one that's going to take care of this situation. Because I I can't look that guy's brother in the eyes and say, I'm happy that I brought you this pain. I'm happy that I ended my kids. Like, And I know that those two things can exist at the same time. It's not math. Feelings don't cancel out. But it's one of those situations where you feel so much for the victim. And in this case, well, victim being obviously Jody, but I guess also Jeffrey from, you know, literal terms, but you feel so much for him and for Jody's dad. And you think, how could anything else happen? How could this be resolved in a way that feels okay to anybody? I don't know. Well, and that's just it. And then, you know, when I'm sitting back and I'm thinking about this, while I completely understand where Gary is coming from and where I think that so many people and I mean just the way the court case played out showed that so many people agreed that yeah maybe you don't think it's a good idea but if it was yours you bet your ass absolutely and when you step back and think about it as horrific of crimes that Jeffrey committed were and they were they were horrible and he deserved more pain 
I think, than he got. But one person killed someone and it wasn't Jeffrey. Yeah. And that it's hard for me. I am not someone who takes that lightly. You know, even from a childhood, I have I was raised in a pretty Christian home. I went to Sunday school, all the jazz. And whether you want to get into religion or not, life is sacred. And, you know, we gave a guy 300 hours of community service for taking somebody's entire life. The outpouring of support that even came afterwards. So we'll sort of get into how this became positive it's going to end on a pretty good note not that the situation was positive but he certainly um jody just did so much with his life and we'll we'll get into that but his dad was interviewed a lot too as was jody in in his older years you know and said oh what you know what do you what do you how do you feel about being called a vigilante and he was just sort of like i'm not like a vigilante is someone who is seeking out you know wrongdoings or whatever and going out of their way to correct them in a way that they think he's like i'm not a vigilante i did what i had to do for my son and in so many words he said and i'm gonna quote it not exactly correct but he was like if i could dig him up right now and shoot him again i would he's like i would do it again like i he's like i don't feel regret for doing what i did well and you know i don't know how Jeffrey Doucette's family feels. I don't know how that brother feels. I don't know how his parents feel. But I know that if I was a parent and I was in the southern area at this time, it would probably bring me a lot of comfort. And I hate to admit that because I want to I want to believe in the best in everyone. I actively look for it. You want to be in the unicorns and meadows and I love unicorns that poop chocolate. It they're the best. (laughs) But like that that's not real life and it's not the world. And if I had the sweet thing, the sweet little life that I created, that I was responsible for, I brought into this world, and then I introduced to what would be his biggest nightmare. I would be so racked with guilt, even though, by the way, if Jody, his family ever listens to this, none of this is your fucking fault. Please don't release yourself from that. If you haven't yet, that is heinous. It is not your fault that somebody else chose to do something so incredibly evil to someone so innocent, whether or not you are close, whether or not you are family friends, whether or not you sent him to his karate studio, there was no way to know. It's not like now. You can't just Google someone and see everything they've ever done. Forgive yourselves, at least a little, if you haven't. Well, and and that's the thing, is Gary Plochet has passed away, Mm -hmm. but he died a free man. He was 68 years old, and he got a life full of being with his family. And Jody has gone on to do amazing things, and that's sort of where I want to end the story is talking about all of the great things that he did and so i kind of saved my sources for the end here because this was all in jody's words i didn't necessarily put exact quotes and i said fuck so much more than he did (laughs) which i give him a lot of credit for. we are not nearly as eloquent as these people no but i felt like a pit in my stomach and you know my heart rates because of what he went through and how evil this trusted man was and you know to to hear that Jody has done so well despite it all I think really 
is comforting for yeah. a lot of people and a lot of survivors of this. So Jody went on to attend Louisiana State University and he got a degree in general studies, but like minored in like everything under the sun. <laughs> um, mostly his focuses were like psychology and philosophy. And while he was in school, he served on this board for men against violence and it focused on reducing campus violence all violence on campus that's awesome so he started you know in his later teens really focusing on violence prevention and education and after that he went on to work as a sexual assault counselor oh my gosh and prevention educator and he ended up presenting in 2002 at the white house in front of President George W. Bush and, you know, like so many officials on um, at the uh, the conference of missing, exploited and runaway children. And he got to share his story and he's given interviews to so many shows, Oprah Winfrey, the John Walsh show, things like that. He's given so many like news and like radio interviews and all of these things. And he's really devoted his life to educating people and he wrote a book as well and it's called why gary why which is what the sheriff shouted when oh yeah when gary pulled the trigger because he was someone who was invested in them it's like what did you do you're gonna you're gonna be locked away forever you threw your life away and jody's book is about his story but also a message to parents what can you do now yeah. To talk to your kids about the dangers of what's out there, even people that they trust or they like or they want to like them. And what can you do when you notice signs and how to have a really open dialogue about this within families. Yeah. And he's really just made it his life's work. And when he first started giving interviews when he was a little bit older but it was still kind of fresh someone reached out to him and said hey I just saw your interview and I you know I just want you to know that someone else came forward that Jeffrey had been abusing because they saw yours and they felt empowered they saw your story and that you came forward and he said like that that sealed the deal for him he's like all right this is what I'm doing because I don't think he was super eager to rehash his trauma every really? single time. I know. When, who would have thunk it? I would love to discuss the worst day of my life over and over again on TV for people to judge and comment on. And because it was already shoved in everyone's faces because there were cameras everywhere anyway. And, you know, he's also the one whose dad shot someone on live TV. That family still had to, not only were they the victims of that, but then they also have this like assailant vigilante narrative that comes along with them all of that's going on but like they still need to heal yeah so again a lot of what i've gathered here was things that uh jody had said it was jody's own words and gary's when he was alive but i did listen to a podcast that had a lot of um interviews of jody talking in it and it was called Minds of Madness, which is actually really interesting. It was just a lot of, like, pieces of interview from Jody. Yeah. Um, and then A&E has an American Justice show, and it was, like, the Vigilante Justice episode. I watched that. Um, but, again, just a lot of, like, looking up Jody interviews and just hearing him talk about it. Because now he gives 
conferences and like classes and professional training about sexual violence prevention and what you can do and again he rehashes his story all the time and he's really made something of himself and he he was even said he was like i get so fucking mad he didn't say fucking that's my my little embellishment but he would get really frustrated because he would hear people say oh that kid was abused so that's it that's that's it for them and that's not he's like that's not the case it can be if kids don't have the support and the place to talk about it and work through it it absolutely can be damning for them but there's also those of us that can use it to motivate us and try to turn it into as much of a positive thing as we can and be truly resilient and be strong and confident and deliberate in what we say and it was just super inspiring to hear him speak in that he's saying like no you're not damaged goods and you're not damned for life and that's not it these decisions that these people made for you and hurt like in the ways that they hurt you is not representative of you and you're not your past and it was just super moving to hear him say it and everything so I wanted to end on that sort of note that he's done very well and you can go to his website which is literally like his name.net jodyploche.net and you can get access to a lot of resources there but because we talked about some heavy stuff, I want to include some resources here as well. Um, you know, as always, if you feel you're in an emergency, you should dial 911. There's a lot of violence resources for you. I can't speak to local because I have no idea where you are, but the national ones here in the U.S., um, the National Sexual Violence Resource Center was a really good one. They have a survivor network, and you can donate to their cause as well, but they've got a lot of really awesome resources that you can access there um also uh the rain uh organization which is rape abuse incest national network and they're the largest in the country and they've got a hotline resources they've got a lot of things you can live chat you can get training you can get the national stats so um we'll make sure that this is all listed in the show notes and we'll put this on our instagram and if you've got any other ones that you think should be shared reach out to us We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to, you know, hear your takeaways or if, you know, this has impacted you in any way, we'd we'd love to hear it. So I appreciate you guys sticking around. I know that was a doozy, but I, I hope that it ended on a positive enough note. Well, and here isn't that just inspiring? You can come from the worst fucking thing a nine year old can go through. Like, I'm sorry. When I was nine I played spies. Like this poor fucking kid. You can come from such a shitty traumatic experience all around and come out and literally inspire so many people to share their story, to get help, to fix what they have deemed wrong in their head on so many different things, whether that is opening up a dialogue about the place of the justice system the place of vigilante justice and or violence and how we feel about that as a society. Because you guys, truly, I know we don't talk about it like this in most of the real life that we are all in. But when you study criminal justice, we all talk about how laws are intended to be a democracy. These are guidelines that we agree on as a count, like a country and, you know, smaller scales as well. But 
if we have thoughts and feelings on it, we got to hash them out so we can figure out what we want the line to be drawn at. Where are we going to draw the line of this is not okay? And this is such a wonderful story of how people had compassion. I mean, while it is a story of traumatic abuse and, you know, heinous crimes all around, it is also a story of love and joy and reconnection and communities coming together to have each other's backs and prosecutors who are understanding of more than just whether or not we check the boxes for a certain charge. It, I think this is a really great one to end on because this is exactly what we're interested in. We're interested in the weird, the dark, the twisty, the ugly of it all, but also how we can make it better. And honestly, you know what? We don't have a Patreon, but if I could find Jody's Venmo, I'll put it in the notes. Give him five bucks for a cup of coffee. The kid deserves it. I know. (laughs) And he is doing so well. Again, he's successful. He's got a family. He has found his purpose in turning what was the darkest most horrible things that he could have gone through those terrible experiences he has been able to shed a new light on it and that resiliency like if he can do it so many other people can and just not being defined by circumstances that happened to you i just think it was great And I want to ask you guys, if you've got anything to add, please send us an email. We would love, 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 love to hear from you. So I'm going to just plug our little socials here. Oh my gosh, our little socials, you guys. You can email us at about time, the number four, tc at gmail. And you can follow us on Instagram and we would love to have you there. Um, it is about time for true crime pod with dots in between each word. So yes, it's about period time, period four, period true, period crime, period pod. But we'd love to see you. And you don't have to say that every time. So that's a lot easier. <laughs> um, but thank you guys for sticking it out with us. I know that was a, a rough one, but the ending was hopeful. Hopeful, inspiring, loving, joyful, traumatic, sad, dark, twisty, but ultimately, Jody won. Absolutely. And we so very much look forward to bringing you so many cool things because we want to, oh God, we we see so much in our 40 hours a week. Oh we, my again, gosh. We've got thousands of hours. We want to be able to talk to you about all different kinds of things, all the theories, all the cases, the ongoing cases, the local ones. Again, we're in New England. I mean, there's a lot of missing persons. There's a lot of you stuff. You guys, I'm from the Midwest. This place out here, it is like, there are so many places to dump a body. Not in like a weird FBI track me way. You can't. There's nothing weird. But there are so many woods. There's so many rivers. There's so many lakes. Wowza, there's so much out here. <laughs> True crime related. Yes. And there's a lot of open cases right now. And don't worry, we're going to dive into those two with both feet. Another Tarantino reference. Mm -hmm. Here we are. Um, But we want to be able to talk to you guys about all of that. We want to be able to talk to you about drugs and their role in the criminal justice system and how, I mean, that's just in and of itself a huge thing in mental health and mental illness and just 
Oh, God, guys, I can just keep going. You want to know what I just thought about? What did you just think about? How heinous the amount of pee the two of us see in a week is. Oh, my God, too much pee. so much pee. So much pee. I did not think it would, well, I always thought it would bother me more than it does, but it does not really bug me anymore. I'm like, yep, here's the cup. Have fun. So much pee. Hey. 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 Spell I cup. Nope. (laughs) Well, that's a really good place to wrap that up. Thank you guys for joining us. We look forward to chatting with you again soon. We're going to come at you with some theories, some other cases, drug stuff, history, you name it. We'll do it. Send in your requests. We love to research and bear with us. The first few, by definition, are going to be a little bumpy. We're going to find our stride. We're going to get into it. Hold on with us. We got this. We can't grow if we don't start worse than we get better. So if any of you don't know us on a personal level, because I'm sorry to all of my friends I've been forcing you to listen. uh, Hey, hi. We're strangers, but um, not anymore. Now we're friends. So friends stick around for the next few episodes in the last two episodes we've talked about really horrific things and stanky underwear and (laughs) just some you know we're we're close now so you guys are stuck with us yeah i'm sorry once you hear about the pic in a week we're hanging out yeah you're kind of you're locked in so buckle up buttercup clean your house drive your car talk to your friends giggle at a wall i don't care but put on our podcast to hang out with us i know we love it so thank you guys for hanging out with us and we are going to get going so this has been a wonderful time for true crime absolutely (laughs) and we will see you next time okay bye bye. Bye. later